Hey everybody, it's Chad with I Want to Know, and I'm here with my new friend Jerry Pratt, the economical, the economic development officer for Clearwater County. That's right. How are you doing? Good. Good, good. Uh, Jerry is um, a dad of four. He was a scout leader for many years, and he likes to teach business principles and budgeting in his local community. I love doing that. And the college. Right? Uh, well, used to. The, that was Lakeland College in Lloydminster a few years ago. Okay. Um, we don't have a college in Rocky right now, but yeah. uh, we're close enough to Redrick College. I'm hoping someday I can do some of that do again. some stuff down there, yeah. So what does an economic development officer do for the county? Uh, it's very core. I'm, my role is to try to help business grow and help diversify jobs in the area. Awesome. And what do you do? How like What's the day-to-day look like on that? Oh, uh, there's no day that's the same. Um, I've been very fortunate the last three years, large focus on tourism Yeah, because we have so much uh, attraction out there in our area. Um, but, uh, more recently I've been really taking a look at our labor force Yeah, and what kind of skills we have that would be attractive to other businesses come in. Like much of Alberta, uh, we have been hit by oil and gas downturn. Yeah. We were very blessed in Rocky Mountain House in Clearwater County to have, I'd say, 50 years of pretty good prosperity Yeah, because of oil and gas. Yeah. But, um, the, and it's not just because of the lack of pipeline capacity, although that's not helping, but the industry is changing. Yeah. Uh, with technology, they're becoming more efficient. A little uh, less actual physical labor. Yeah. They they don't have to have the same boots on the ground anymore to do the job that 20 years ago was required. So now we've got people that are looking for work. Uh, you know, they have skills, but they're traditionally been in the one industry. And now we're trying to f- figure out how can we expand beyond that. And and honestly, most of rural Alberta is looking at the same problem. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Everyone's fighting for uh, for the same thing, basically. Yep. You guys were, a, a lot of Rocky Mountain House always in the logging industry as well, right? Which uh, isn't quite as prosperous as it used to be. Well, we have had logging. Uh, we're very fortunate. We have West Fraser out there. Uh, they have a unique plant that does laminate press board uh, basically, they create these really big beams. Okay. Uh, oh, like the pre pressing structural yeah, beams. Yeah, pressing wafer-thin stuff, and like 30 layers with particular type of glues and different types of woods together. Yeah. Um, and that's a fairly constant work as long as there's construction going on. Yep. Uh, which is nice. Um, beyond that, we're, we have logging. Uh, we don't have processing outside of the West Fraser yeah, uh, laminated. Okay, the um, I had the opportunity to meet a guy that does I think a similar job to you for Lake Louise Economical Development, okay. and uh, he was talking on how tourism is the one thing that never really dies. As uh, you know, it, it may slow down, but it's not like an industry that's going to go dead. Well, it fluctuates, yeah. uh, and certainly there are trends, uh, different parts of the world. The advantage of tourism. Uh, from an economic development point of view, is it's really one of the few things we locally have much control over. Yeah. We have no control over oil and gas. Yeah. We have very little control over where oil and gas might put offices. Yeah. Um, and same with forestry. Uh, we have very little control over world markets there. Yeah. Agriculture, same thing. Beef prices, wheat prices. We might have a little bit of influence trying to attract some processors there. But uh, tourism is one of the things that we can market, we can develop, we can get trails, 
um, and so on. So, and you can gear it or change it a little bit according to what people are looking for. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how to adequately describe the Eric's. It's one of, I've been to Australia, I've been to Mexico. I'm not a well-traveled person, but I've been to some beautiful places. Very little of them can compare to what you get in Clearwater County, in David Thompson County. Um, you know, that mid-Alberta uh, landscape is outstanding. At at a roughest, I heard somebody describe <clears throat> it as we have all the advantages of Banff yeah. with another regulation. <laughs> uh, I don't want to stress that as much. Uh, David Thompson Country is the brand yeah. for Clearwater County and Rocky Mountain House and also the Village of Caroline. It's actually a partnership between the three. Okay. Um, we are a big county. Yeah. Uh, so it covers a lot of area. I know a lot of people think Abraham Lake is in the Banff Park. It's actually in our county. Right. Um, Ram Falls yeah. is in our county. All the way up Siffler Falls. Um, it's it's a big area. The uh, For people that don't know, I, I spent two weeks up there last uh, summer, uh, one week with just my wife, and then I took my kids up for uh, an extra long weekend. Um, and there's probably, of like marked hiking trails to waterfalls and to like beautiful landscape, there's what, 30, like within a... A ten mile a length of the highway. There, there are many. I wish they were a little better marked than they are. We are working <laughs> on that with the province because because it is crown land. Yeah, um, but we are working on that with the province. Hopefully, getting a little bit better signage and uh, just making it a little more visitor friendly. Right now, a lot of people have to look up where things are. And yeah, identify it by the fence post. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know that's for me is part of the fun of the hike. Is that, you know, as we're halfway through a hike, I'd be looking and like trying to landscape where we are and, yeah. you know, do I see this cut back on the map? And we, we took a bunch of maps from, um, what was the campsite we were just talking about? Uh, David Thompson Resort. David Thompson Resort is yeah. where we stayed and they have them all listed out in a catalog in their hotel there. So it's, it's outstanding place to go. It, it, it can be fun. And my background, I did scouting for 10 years. I enjoy that kind of thing too. But I will say when we have visitors from Calgary, Edmonton who aren't quite as comfortable they're a little more used to the Banff experience where things are very well signed. Paved trails. And yeah, we don't have three paved kilometers. trails. That's, <laughs> no. uh, we do have the very interesting boardwalk at Siffler Falls, which is uh, Yeah, that was a brilliant cool. walk through. It's, I want to say it's, it's almost like a Saskatchewan Plains <laughs> in just the middle of nowhere. You just have this yeah, the hard... Co- the Kootenai Plains Ecological Reserve. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was beautiful there. And we could just use a little bit more signage to help people not get lost or, <laughs> or if they're actually on a trail that they know they're on a trail. Is uh, is that a big thing? You get a lot of people lost up there? We do. Um, not long-term. Most of them know go downhill yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to get back to your vehicle. Um, but we have more international travelers coming. Okay. Uh, people from Asia, certainly uh, some from Europe. Yeah. And foreign country, foreign place. And a lot of them are not used to areas being as undeveloped as we are. Yeah. Right? Uh, when we were coming up with the brand name for David Thompson Country... Um, we were sort of half joking. Maybe we should get shirts done saying you won't find an outhouse out here. Uh, <laughs> although we want them we, for the Alberta provincial government. We would like more of those, Yeah, but uh, it is undeveloped. Um, and even if you walk on like Siffler Falls, uh, is probably the most developed that we have with official signage and outhouses and so on. Um, but you know, you get one kilometer away yeah. and you can't tell. 
No, 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 no. It's um, Stifford Falls. I did that hike. I think we did about seven or eight kilometers in, made it to a couple of the smaller oh, we, falls. You went up the, to, to the, the third s- falls, eh? to, Yeah. The, and it was, a, it was a hot day when we were up there. That boardwalk is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably a good two, three kilometers. It, uh, I think closer to a kilometer and a half to two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's needed. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and that's mostly to save the land, right? So yep. we're not... Uh, well, it, uh, it's almost a deserty that that valley, it's a very interesting, um, a lot of First Nations people uh, wintered in that area okay. because it didn't get the minus 40s that much of Alberta would get in the winter. Yeah. It was a little bit drier, so they didn't get the four to 10 feet of snow. Um, but what it means in the summer is it also doesn't get that much moisture. So if you take a step off that boardwalk, yeah. uh, and it's quite windy. Um, you can end up seriously damaging the area. It, uh, you blow dunes and it blows away. Yeah. So the boardwalk was built some time ago just in order to protect uh, the area from our own steps. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a brilliant hike. <clears throat> I've been bragging it to my friends. Well, the whole area for all last summer. We found it. Well, I shouldn't say that. We found the Nordeg area uh, in Abraham Lake last summer, but before that we had camped just outside of Rocky Mountain House in... Um, was the other one we were talking Wilderness about? Village? Wilderness Village, which is more of a family-friendly, yep. um, yeah, the family-friendly. That's a good way to... to it is, yeah. uh, and with all the amenities. Yeah, exactly. They have hot tubs and a pool and the showers, do, uh, showers ice <laughs> rinks, stuff like that. It's it's a brilliant place when you got little, little yep. kids. And right next to Crimson Lake. Yeah, yeah. Be- beautiful lake there as well. Yeah. Um, you brought in a bunch of, uh, you know, before we get to the postcards, I want to know more about <laughs> economic development. Sure. The, um, so who, who pays you? You're basically a subcontractor for... No, I'm, a, I'm an employee of the county. Okay. Of Clearwater County. Cool, cool. Um, so it's a government job. It is. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, what are the expectations? What are your, your goals while you're there? Um, really it's, uh, working mostly with businesses Yeah. in economic development. A lot of people think, uh, oh, you have to bring a big production manufacturing facility or sometimes a new mine site. Lots of things are proposed all the time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, statistics show that 70% of all growth in a community usually comes from existing businesses already there. Okay. Uh, local business owners who are looking to expand or invest in something totally new. So, to spend a lot of time in areas that only bring 30% of potential growth over time. Um, you know, yes, we'll welcome new facilities, but really it's about working with local business people who already know the lay of the land, the needs of the people yeah, and uh, hopefully be able to make the environment good for them to invest in. Very cool. So what are, what are some of the things you're working on with the local business people right now? Uh, actually I'm holding a small business forum here in just two weeks. Uh, we don't have a business license program. Most counties don't. So we don't really know all of our businesses that well. We don't, we don't know the number or the type, how many they employ. So they're not required to have a license to run a business there. No, not in the county. And actually most counties in Alberta don't. Um, there are, I'm doing research right now. I'm sitting at about four counties that do. Okay. Most have what are called business development or uh, permits, basically yeah, yeah. development permits. And it's really around, are you allowed to build that kind of structure there? Yeah. Because Rocky uh, View has that for sure. Um, Strath, no, Strathcona County doesn't. Uh, Rocky View does. Wheatland? Greenview does. Um, 
regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, Fort McMurray area does. Okay. But I think that's sort of a bleed over from the city when they amalgamated with the county there. Yeah. Uh, they brought that in. And I'm trying to remember, I'm not sure if it's Wheatland or not. I just, I was looking those up because I'm doing some comparisons. Not that I want business licenses, but I want the data. Yeah, yeah. To, so that when my council asks me, are we actually growing? Yeah. I can give them a statistically correct answer. How else do you track businesses if you don't have license or permits <sighs> well, or something yeah, in place, it's, right? it's anecdotal. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you find just stories or tradition not to be completely correct. Yeah. So what uh, with tourism, that's obviously a big part of what you do is trying to it attract is. people there and, and having local businesses do social media, you know, have those businesses that are attractive to um tourists and stuff um so what kind of plans are you implementing there um well we've been hosting uh what i call tourism business forums for the last three years basically getting tourist operators together to network we're a big county so we've got uh tourism operators business people out by nordic that don't know their counterparts in rocky mountain house (laughs) or down near caroline yeah, they just don't spend They're an much hour time. apart from each yeah, other. But exactly, it's an hour apart. Um, so getting them, trying to get them together once or twice a year just to connect. Yeah. Um, for me, it helps me find out what they're looking for, what their input is. Yeah, uh, let them know what we're working on because uh, really we're trying to work on projects for them. Right. So uh, we want them to be aware of what's going on. Uh, so we've done things like visitor. Um, a visitor friendly assessment. Yeah. So how friendly is it to tourists who are coming in? Can they find their way? Uh, and that's, that was last year. So we've been working on, uh, trying to improve that. Uh, we developed the brand David Thompson country about two and a half years ago, um, out of the need for a brand for our area that people would recognize. I mean, most people know the town of Rocky Mountain House. Most people don't know Clearwater County. Right. And the reality is there's a Clearwater County in BC. There's one in Idaho. There's one one in Minnesota. (laughs) And the most famous one is down in Florida. Okay. So uh, the uniqueness of a brand with Clearwater County just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. So we, we end up developing David Thompson Country because... We have a we have a strong history of David Thompson. Uh, Highway 11 is called the David Thompson Highway. Yeah, and people for years have called it the David Thompson Corridor. Okay, so who's David Thompson? Uh, he was an explorer <laughs> yeah. in Canada before Canada was Canada. Uh, he came over from oh, this can be bad. I think Scotland. That's okay. Uh, we're we're not going to hold you accountable for uh, um, being correct in your history. Anyway, he is a. Map maker. He's actually the sing. He created the single most number of maps. Really? Uh, back wow. in the seventeen late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds. Um, he was employed by Hudson's Bay Company and the Northwest Company. Um, in order, they really wanted him in the fur trade. Yeah. And but what he wanted to do was to re- create maps. Yeah. And so they worked together on that and. Um. He was in Rocky twice over a few years while he was trying to discover the House Pass. Uh, and to read the stories, he wrote a lot of journals yeah. um, about uh, being with the voyageurs and establishing some of the, the forts. Yeah. Um, his wife, he married his wife, Charlotte Small, who was a First Nations woman. Um, they were actually married 58 years. Wow. Uh, th- did she travel with them? Or did yes. Uh, that, that's the Her crazy being First part. Nation back in the 1700s. 
how, how would she not? Yeah, well, and she took care of a lot of the men on the trip. She also negotiated with the other First Nations as she met them. Yeah. And she had, uh, well, they ended up having 13 kids. Many of these kids yeah. were born during their travels. Yeah. Uh, he often left her in Rocky Mountain House or other forts where... He then went on further and came back to find out, oh, I had a baby. Um, <laughs> d- crazy stuff to read. But in his lifetime, and mostly not on horses, mostly walking or canoeing up and down river, which is crazy to think of, Damn. Eighty over 80,000 kilometers in yeah. travel. That and is insane. Mapping most of that just using uh, drawing and writing and a sextant in order to figure out where he was. I, every time I'm on a hike and I get, you know, especially in, in uh, Clearwater County, like you said, it's very unmarked. So you mm-hmm. get you get a little bit lost in the woods and you have to kind of, you know, figure out where you are and, you, you know, <laughs> maybe you walk back 20 yards or whatever. But I always think the original guy that walked through here, I'm like, wow, yeah. what kind of brave are you? What kind of durable yep. are you? Like, it wasn't they only did it in the warm months. Nope. They would do it all year round. Um, they were, you know... They didn't have Gore-Tex. They didn't have spandex. Oh, they were wearing heavy, heavy robes of pelts. And yeah. I've got backpacks that weigh ounces and he's wearing something that probably weighed 10, 20 pounds. Like, you know, that that would be his pack would weigh 10 or 20 pounds. Uh, Actually, uh, the voyageurs, uh, in order to be hired, they had to be able to carry, um, I think most of their packs were 80 pounds. Damn. And... And back then, the Voyagers, the, they were Métis. Yeah. Uh, they were smaller than we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so their average height was probably, my understanding, is around 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, and <laughs> they must have looked like a brick. Yeah. Right? Just short, squat, and solid, because yeah. they were used like to carrying fire hydrant, around. Right? Um, and their packs, they would not only carry on their back, but they had a strap that came up onto their forehead so they can pull it forward. And right. Just balance the weight a little and bit. And then they were carrying these heavy wooden canoes on top of them. Yeah. In order to portage. And then where did all the food come from, right? So you're spending part of your day Uh, trying to hunt, to forage the whole time that you're walking, you're picking berries and roots and whatever you can, right? Now, the canoes were mostly for going upriver because they could cut through the water really well. Yeah. Um, And then they would actually build, build like at Rocky Mountain House, the fort, they would build what's called York boats. Yeah. And uh, so these were quite wider. um, And that's what they could then haul all the pelts. Okay. And, and so they rode all the way from Rocky Mountain House, all the way basically to the Hudson's Bay, and then they would go upriver paddling to get to like Toronto or Montreal or <laughs> somewhere out there to s- sell the pelts finally. Man, someone's got to put that tour together and sell it. Well, uh, for Canada's 150, um, we did have uh, a Voyager canoe race. Yeah. It was reenacting one from 1967, the centennial race. They didn't go quite as far. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they went all the way from Rocky Mountain House to the Palm, Manitoba in 33 days or something, Man. something like that. And there were several teams. I'm trying to remember if it was 10 or 11 teams. That is um, insane. And that was reenacting the centennial race, yeah. uh, of which we actually had some of the original participants help us plan that thing out <laughs> for that Canada's sesquicentennial. So from Rocky Mountain House, which is on the west side of Alberta, for people who don't know, to Manitoba was 33 days in a, in a canoe. Yeah. Um, probably way better gear than what the um, original people... <laughs> they got to stop at night and sleep and eat with, yeah. Probably in a hotel or at least they, they had or really good gear. At least gear. nice tents and RVs anyway. Yeah. And then, uh, so how long... It would have been another 
easily 30 days to make it to Hudson Bay from there then. Um, well, the Paw Manitoba, it's getting pretty close to Hudson's Bay by the time they get there. Okay. Although the Paw is certainly on the west side of Manitoba. Yeah. But it would have taken them at least probably 10 days more. Wow. But then they paddled upriver. Yeah. To be able to get the furs to the urban centers. Yeah. That is crazy. From, uh, I don't even remember which river I should. So everyone out there complaining about their job? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that hey. was a good chance you were going to get eaten by a bear or stomped on by a... Uh, um, by a moose or a deer or eaten by a cougar. And they didn't have deep woods back then, so. Oh, yeah, you're, you're getting, <laughs> well, there's probably not a lot of malaria in Canada, but you're still getting eaten alive by oh, black yeah. flies uh, and My understanding mosquitoes. is they took the grease from their food and smeared the grease on their skin to help provide a layer. So after a day of hard paddling in the sun, yeah, I bet that smelled pretty rank. I would imagine. <laughs> You have to have a dip in the river uh, nearly every day to try to... Do, well, you couldn't even do that. No. I mean, uh, it wouldn't make any sense. It, it, it's it's an amazing history. Yeah. I uh, I try to say it to my kids, and they just don't get it. I'm like, <laughs> some guy walked across Canada um, so that we can live where we're living. Yeah. And do you have any idea? And, and uh, you know, the kids are like, this is so hard. Yeah. And, you know, we walk six kilometers. Six kilometers is nothing. <laughs> I try to tell my kids, I grew up milking cows by hand on the farm. Yeah, My yeah. kids can't relate to that. <laughs> and then my own dad, who grew up on a farm in eastern Alberta, um, you know, they didn't have electricity until he was uh, almost a teen. Wow. Uh, and even once they got electricity, their washroom was still outside, know, 30 yeah. yards away from yeah. the house. Uh, my kids just cannot. I know. And, but that's only two generations removed. I know. I know. Like, Canada's three and a half generations old. Like, it's brand, yeah. it's brand new. You know, right? at 150 years old, we're not... We don't have that much history. No, no. The uh, my dad's family were from uh, Porcupine Plain, Saskatchewan, okay. so very, very far north. My dad ran away from home when he was thirteen. First time he saw a paved road or a TV. There was no TVs in Porcupine. That would have been in. So he was born in fifty eight. So that would have been in seven. No. It's 58. No, forty eight. He was born in forty eight. Okay. So it was sixty one yeah. that he ran away from home. Wow. Didn't see a TV until 1961. I, I tell my kids about me remembering the first time we got a color TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? There wasn't color TVs? I'm pretty sure I had a clever color TV my whole life. And we didn't have cable every time. I lived kind of all over Western Canada. So definitely we were, you know, small town Saskatchewan, Waldeck, uh, outside of Swift Current okay. there, and a couple of uh, uh, cruddy little areas where we didn't have cable and stuff. It didn't really matter to me as a kid. I wasn't much of a TV person anyways. Um, I got yeah. CBC, CKRD out of Red Deer. That was the only station we had for eight years <laughs> on the farm growing up. Did, uh, <laughs> did you get hockey? That's all that mattered to my brothers. Yeah, <laughs> hockey and uh, your dad gets the news and everything yeah. was good. And back then, CKRD didn't, wasn't 100% CABC, so we did get Dukes of Hazard at least. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's banned now. You're not allowed to watch it anymore. They're oh. taking it off the air. Well, you know, uh, history, we were just talking about history. Life was different. Yeah, it was for sure. The um, Do you know much about the relationship between the First Nations and the Travelers? In that area? Uh, a little bit. Uh, David Thompson had a pretty good relationship. Um, again, he was married to a First Nations woman, and he was uh, committed to her. He actually got married, and they they stayed married, unlike uh, some in history. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he actually stayed, when he was younger, before he got married, he actually stayed, he wintered uh, with a 
tribe down towards Calgary, I believe. Okay. And he learned their language and he, uh, my understanding is he was quite respectful towards yeah, yeah. them. I still imagine back then as, as respectful as what we think someone should be, that it's probably not the same as what it is today. It was maybe. just a different mentality back then. Not that I'm trying to bash on David yeah. but, Thompson. Maybe but he, he actually very... lived with them, right? Like he stayed in there yeah. and uh, in wintering with them. I mean, when it's minus 20 and you're in a teepee and there's not a lot of heat outside of that, yeah. they stayed and they told history and they told stories. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my understanding is the relationship was pretty good. There was a, a book that I read. I want to say it's The Way of Man. But it was talking about the explorers in Canada and uh, just as a, as a reference to the type of people they were and that what we've lost in our community um, or in our culture. Uh, but it was talking about how um, back when Canada was being explored that you would have more Caucasians that would um, integrate into the First Nations than you would have interna- uh, First Nations integrating. This was the, this guy's point of view on it anyways. Okay. And it was, it was more of a natural way of life compared to what we were used to. So Europeans would come over here and start traveling and like, this is the way I want to live. I don't want to be in a big city. I don't want to be in a factory. I'd rather be in a teepee, fishing all day and hunting okay. all afternoon. I think that may have been a little bit of the flavor of the people that came over <laughs> too. I, I think some of them were trying to escape from yeah. The the life of tradition, when you read of life in Britain, Scotland, Ireland at the time, you know, they're working in factories and uh, it's six and a half days a week. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, it doesn't sound like a most pleasant life. Yeah. Versus coming over here, yeah, it's cold, but hey, uh, I'm my own boss and I get to do what I want to do. Yeah. We'll give you a piece of land. Well, yep. uh, you can hunt at will. Although living in a sod hut when it's minus 30 out doesn't sound very appealing to me. Uh, you know what? I'd, I'd like to give it a go sometime. I'd like to test oh. what it what it's like. There's no one in my family that's joining me. I guarantee <laughs> you there's not anybody. No. My, my retirement plan that everyone on the podcast has heard a hundred times is to live in a dirt floor hut in Belize and just fish and pick fruit all day. That's in, that's where I want to end you up. You know, in a place that doesn't usually freeze, that might be doable. <laughs> in a place it. where for five months of the year, you're not oh, sure how you're getting your water. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I don't think I'm Canada durable, but I'm definitely Belize durable. <laughs> we always joke, I lived all over uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan, and I always joked that, you know, the first pioneers before the railway came through, they were coming across and they hit winter. So they burnt their wagons for heat and they couldn't get out of here when spring came. So they decided, <laughs> let's plant our roots here. Yeah, I got no, you can't walk out. So nope. yeah, we're going to stay. No trees to make anything out of in southern Saskatchewan. True enough. True enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. People don't think about that stuff, right? Like when you're exploring this country in, in a car at 110 kilometers an hour, 130 kilometers an hour, depending on what province you're in, mm-hmm. um, you're, uh, th- there's no, no challenges. And there's a reason why they lived inside huts. Yeah. But that would be the most R value get out of any material. What, what did you have for fuel, right? Like you, yeah. know, you hear stories of buffalo chips or whatever. But. Yeah. You get the fat off the buffalo and the deer, and yeah. not that there's a lot, but just, you would get some. I just think you were cold. Yeah. Yeah, you would have to be durable. You'd lose a couple toes every winter. Uh, there'd be a few. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> um, Rough life. Yeah. Even the fish? Would you get much oil? You wouldn't get much oil off the fish. It's perch and pickerel no. and trout. And you would think you would want to eat that, too. Cause yeah, yeah. And a lot of Saskatchewan uh, and, and Alberta, you're not close enough to a lake to be able to get, or a river. Yeah. 
to be able to get there. They're few much and fish far either. between for sure. Uh, Manitoba has a lot, so you would have been pretty plentiful there. Ontario I mean, has a lot. Northern Saskatchewan has a lot of fish, and they've got wood. They could actually yeah, make yeah. their houses and so on, but I don't think the first settlers went to northern Saskatchewan originally. I wonder if they understood back then the further north you go, the colder you get. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Oh, at some point, it doesn't feel that different. Yeah, I guess so. Minus 20, minus 30. There's not yeah. a big difference between those two, right? And minus no. 30, minus 40, it's about the same. Yeah. It's, it's just damn cold. And, and to think of you know people like David Thompson who were, they were exploring. I was actually trying to bone up on some history with him yeah, yeah. <laughs> before coming here. And he talks about, yeah, I tried to make it over the Rockies and got turned back by the snow. So it took him a few weeks just to go from uh, the Siffler Falls, past Siffler Falls area, yeah. uh, where the house pass was supposed to start. Yeah. It took him three weeks to trudge back. And I think, you know, that's actually 170 kilometers. He walked that in three weeks in the in winter, the snow and the trudging cold. through the snow when it's, you know, it's only light out for seven or eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Not but, to mention he's being hunted that whole time. The animals out there are watching you. There's for sure that's full of, well, maybe the bears that have been hibernating. Yeah, I, I think he's had some of the help from the First Nations people and some of that as well. But yeah. uh, that's still, that, yeah, uh, that's part of the reason we named ourselves after him is uh, we, uh, well, our, our, motto i guess is challenge your inner explorer we wanted oh, to we wanted like something that. to go with that adventurer yeah i love that a lot explore your no sorry would you challenge say? your inner explorer challenge your inner explorer that is beautiful that's what people need to do in alberta oh absolutely and we have it it's right in our backyard yeah cool cool uh, so you brought me a whole bunch of postcards. Um, I'll I'll definitely take pictures and put them online sure. for everybody. Um, what was the purpose? What did you want to talk about? Well, to me, they're just uh, sometimes they're reminders, they're keys. Like the, this one of the horses yep. out, out in the Coral Creek, or that's the Klein River area. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that's one I use to advertise the area a lot. I'm going to show some pictures as you're talking about it. Sure. Can I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's with, uh, McKenzie's trails West. They're right across from David Thompson resort. Yeah. And you get an authentic experience going out there. They do half day trips. Most of their trips is half days, Yeah. but you can sign on and go out with them for a week, 10 days, mm-hmm. really go out into the outback and you're making your camp every night. Yeah. Um, really go for authenticity. I got to look up some more of these and do a little bit more exploring. I think I need to challenge my inner explorer. Uh, what was this one here? This is uh, Abraham Lake. So I, I spent a lot of time uh, think, on Abraham. I think that might be Vision Quest. I didn't write down which one it is. Anyway, there, there's a lot of mountain peaks surrounding Abraham Lake. Yeah. Um, with some great views. Now, not many of the hikes are easy hikes, though. No, no. They are challenging. Yeah. And not all of them are very well marked, either. <laughs> <laughs> Again, back to that signage issue. So who does that? Is that the government that has to, to mark out all those areas? It has to be Alberta Parks? Um, well, actually, right now, there's just a lot of volunteers. There's people out there that are regular hikers, and they're the ones that'll tack on some signs or arrows onto trees, or they pile rocks or logs pointing a certain way. And Okay. Um, trying to minimize impact on uh, the environment as much as possible, but still make it so people can find their way. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which one that we sort of really got lost on. 
I'm trying to remember. I should have got out all my paperwork out of my camper uh, from when we stayed up there. But there was one where we walked up to a falls. I think I posted pictures of me. We did some um, anikshuks, you know, built some okay. rocks up there. And then, um, shiza, I will bet my wife would remember the name of it. Anyways, it, that one was a challenge. So you go behind, I think, where the, the garbage is recycled. Or oh, the, okay. That's at the Klein. I think it's the Klein River area. Yeah. And so you would hike up the back of that mountain there, and then you got to drop down through the trees into a valley down to where there's a little creek, and then you uh, walk the creek back up to a set of waterfalls. That might be into White Goat. That's it. Creek. It's White Goat Creek. That was the one. That one was amazing. We got lost on yeah, that there's one for sure. There's a lot of views along that way, but yeah, there's no signage as you go. No, nothing. We found one arrow about... You you go up the the, the big uh, logging path there. It's quite wide, but then you get about three quarters of the way up there, and then you can see an arrow on a tree, and that that's the only marker. Right. And then once you get into the tree, there's sort of a trail, but you can't tell if you're on a goat trail or yeah. if you're on uh, on actual trail. But yeah. we ended up finding it. it, it was, like I said, it is undeveloped. Yeah, bit of the adventure, but. We want people to feel safe and feel good enough to come back again. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm not trying to deter. <laughs> I, I think we, um, I probably spend as much time, po- well, maybe not as much time as you. I, I, I love the area enough that I tell all my friends about it and try to plan trips up there. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. Are you the person that does all the social media for the area? Yeah, I do all the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and okay. uh, YouTube. I work with a couple of people for YouTube videos. And awesome. I'm pretty lucky because most of the pictures, of course, I don't take... <laughs> Yeah. All of these pictures, I've taken a few. Very lucky on how many people enjoy the area and want to share their pictures so others can see it. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start hashtagging differently when I go up there this summer. Oh, awesome! We'll do the uh, um, David DT Country. DT Country. That's the hashtag. David Thompson Country is acceptable too, but it's a little bit longer to type. DT Country. Yeah. Yeah. And what's this one here? This one is uh, Klein River area west of Norday. Yeah. Now you're not, of course, down in the valley for yeah. that. No, that's on top of the uh, mountain. You've, you've climbed up the side, but it's it's quite a view. Stunning up there. Uh, I've been on this lake too. This is uh, Twin Lakes. That's out by yeah. uh, Wilderness Village it's, campsite. It's such a crystal clear it lake. Is. Uh, not the best sandy bottom. You're stepping in a little bit of muck if you're going in there. Yeah. But you can see all the way down. Uh, and it goes anywhere from four feet in parts down to about eight to 10 feet in some of the deeper areas. There was a fair amount of fishermen on there, if I remember yep. right. So it must be some good there trout are, fishing in there. There there are some decent. And uh, the Rocky Canoe Club actually practices there every Wednesday night throughout the summer. So if anybody wants to learn how to kayak or canoe or paddleboard, they usually have people down there to help teach you. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Crimson this Lake. Ah, oh, this one. I'm going to show this one. This is actually a really good picture. It uh, must be at dusk. Uh, well, northern, yeah, uh, dusk has just gone down. Uh, you've got the northern lights out. Uh, and Crimson Lake, I don't have a picture here of the sunset, but it was actually named Crimson Lake because of the color it turns at sunset. It's just the whole lake turns red. Nice. Um, and uh, it's so calm. Yeah. Even with, you know, the campers and the cabins out there, uh, you're just sitting on the edge of the lake and it goes down and you're hearing some loons and it, it's like glass. It's, it's so peaceful. Yeah. 
So my favorite part of all of um, this is Abraham Lake. I, I absolutely love that lake. I think I told you on the phone when we talked that I had a friend. Yes. And I'm going to go search it out and see if she can give me some directions. But she said she lived in a cave for a year off of There are lake. a few caves out there, and I don't recommend them. No, I wouldn't <laughs> imagine that's the safest or the most comfortable place to stay. Yeah. But either way, I had posted pictures, and then right away, she lives in Mexico now. Okay. Uh, but right away, she's like, oh, I know that lake. It's this. And if you were here, that means... So she knew it inside out for sure. But this is a, a winter picture yep. of uh, Abraham Lank with the uh, methane gas that gets trapped in the ice, right? So, yeah, this is probably our most uh, popular attraction in the winter. Um, people from all over the world. We actually had a Disney movie film out there um, on Abraham Lake. Which one? Earlier this year. Uh, it was just this year. It's actually, uh, it is, they were filming the original race that created the Iditarod. Okay. So it was dog sledding in Alaska. We were standing in for Alaska. Yeah. And uh, the Disney crew was actually very happy because they got in the middle of a major snowstorm and they were able to film something <laughs> live rather than make it through effects. Yeah. Um, oh, that's terrible. The The gentleman that is, was there filming, uh, he was the Green Goblin, the first Spider-Man. Oh, um, that's terrible that I don't. I'm so bad. I see his face. I I know. He's, uh, he was in uh, John Wick too, right? Yeah. And Aquaman. Yeah. I haven't seen Aquaman yet. Um, anyway, the, he, he he was there. Uh, uh, my understanding is, uh, we actually had a crew out there for probably a couple of weeks just filming in the area and so on. But Abraham Lake is very famous for these methane bubbles. Yeah. Major reason why most lakes do have bubbles. Yeah. Uh, Abraham Lake has a few more because it is an artificial lake. So the, Bacteria is working on grass and trees that have been buried for 40 years now. Yeah. Um, but it's really windy. Okay. And that wind clears the snow off the lake so you can actually take pictures ah. of all the bubbles. So I do recommend. Uh, it's a gorgeous sight, but people need to be aware. That wind is out there. Yeah. You can see the bubbles because it is blowing. Blowing wind. So what was the, I, I remember reading some of the history, but why were they flooding the lake? Or why are they flooding the valley? Sorry. Oh, uh, well, they created the dam yeah. back in 1972. So this is the Bighorn Dam. Yeah. Uh, combination of wanting uh, electricity. Yeah. But also, it was really, my understanding is it was, it was to help control flooding downstream. Okay. Uh, in particular, towards Edmonton area. Okay. Not that Edmonton itself, because it's all, most of it's up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's some areas along they were trying to control Cool, cool. And so uh, the cool thing with Abraham Lake now, it, it's not a regular lake because it is a dam. Uh, it's the largest artificial lake in Alberta. The water level is dropping all winter yeah. as the water is flowing out of the dam. So you've actually got the ice um, dropping yeah. as well. And you've got these big ice shelves that end up resting on the shore or what, what used to be lake but then ends up being dry ground. Yeah. And you've got these 18, 20-inch ice shelves on top. Wow. And they flow with the ground. So they get bubbles and big heaves, and it's pretty cool. But it can be a little dangerous, especially as you get towards the dam. So if you're in the western end of the lake, it's okay. Yeah. But if you get towards the dam at all, uh, you might get some of these big air gaps between the ice and the lake too. Okay. So sometimes three, four, even six feet of air space wow. between the ice and the lake. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But I try... <laughs> to deter people uh, well there, there are safer places and there's people that go out there's tour companies that go out on the lake and they know the conditions really well yeah i would, I would usually recommend them 
Cool, cool. The um, did they change the level of the lake throughout the summer though, right? Because I seem to remember the week that I was there that the the I can't remember if it went down or went up. I'm pretty sure it went up in the time that I was there. Um, Aco Electric is the one that manages the dam. Yeah, uh, they're the energy producer. And so usually the lake is draining until into mid to late June, and okay. then they basically re, uh, reduce the water running out of it come July, so it fills up again. That's when so I was there. So it can there. fill up for the whole of August. Okay. So when it gets low, uh, you're walking on 100, 200 yards of scree sometimes to yeah. get down to the lake. Yeah. And when I was there, we stayed in um, David Thompson uh, campsite there, and you walk down the backside. It's probably two and a half kilometer walk from the top yep. down to the lake. And it's, it's beautiful. Every morning, grabbing coffee, you'd walk down, sit on the lake. One, you got Wi-Fi there <laughs> or you get internet there for sure or cell phone service. And then uh, two, it was just spectacular to watch the sun come up. And, uh, and that glacial blue. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the, um, the rocks that have been just sheared to a dust powder and create that blue. Yeah. Um, they just sort of gather in that lake. So it's blue, blue. Anyone that wants, uh, go to my, um, my personal page, Chad, uh, Chad Ferguson family, man. I think it is my Instagram page. Um, I took a ton of pictures of that whole area, the, the summer that we were there. So, uh, there's some brilliant, brilliant pictures plus a bunch of the hikes. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Go check it out. Uh, next is, uh, Burnt. It's Burn Stick Lake. Burn Stick Lake. Yeah, because there's actually a Burnt Stick Lake, only lake about 20 kilometers south of this. <laughs> That's got <laughs> so me confused. So this is a Burn Stick Lake. Burn Stick Lake. Uh, it's actually near Caroline. Yeah. Um, and it's just a gorgeous place to go fishing and kayaking. Lots of quarters up in that area too, right? There are. Uh, actually, in that area, uh, the Clear- Clearwater County worked with um, a volunteer group. Um, plus oil and gas companies and forestry. Yeah. Uh, so West Fraser to actually build what's called the Clearwater Trails Initiative. And they actually worked with Alberta and Parks uh, Environment in order to get um, cut lines. And anyway, all, the, all these different groups came together to help create this trail network so people can quad all over without causing damage, yeah. without getting down to the pipeline. Because yeah, yeah. that was happening out there. <laughs> And it's a marvelous trail system. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how many kilometers of trail, but it's all internetworked. And that's where the Sasquatch, I showed you the Sasquatch yeah. earlier. The county has a Sasquatch program trying to tell people to be environmental stewards out there. Yeah. And we actually have a Sasquatch that's its arms are out and open and it's welcoming you. Yeah. And then it's got a different one with the arms folded <laughs> that's saying, no, this isn't the area you should be in. Yeah. And uh, so there's actually a bunch of reclaimed oil sites up there. So now there's no uh, no oil infrastructure. Yeah. And so you've got this huge empty site so people can park 20, 30 trailers. Nice. Camping and all these trails surrounded. It, it, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Plus, there are feral horses running all over back there. And uh, you get a little bit closer to the foothills, you might even see some of the bighorn sheep too. Yeah, that's actually our next picture because uh, this is how we found the area. So I'll post this picture. This is uh, Ram Falls. Ram Falls Provincial Park. It is, I don't know, I, I know a lot of hunter, fishermen, campers that are friends of mine, 
No one knows where this is. Oh, really? We we found it. So uh, me and my son wanted to do uh, um, just a tenting trip. So we went early uh, spring last year, which bad idea to tent. It was cold. <laughs> yeah. uh, all over water froze. Um, we took the dog. Uh, it, it still can even freeze in late June. For, yeah, it uh, in that area. Trying to think, May June. We were probably up there mid May. Okay, maybe end of May. Yeah, and it can go still get cold at night. It was uh, it froze all over water. So yeah, we we were trying to warm our water so we could do our dishes and our teeth in the morning. Yep. But uh, it is outstanding. And you're right; nobody knows about it. Yep. And it's a and it's a provincial park now. It's unserviced. Yep. You're not going up there and getting plug-ins or anything like that. There was wood. They uh, they had supplied a bunch of uh, what well, we found. Depends wood on what they clear. Okay. If if they've cleared some and they make it available, yeah. uh, it's not a campground that's used a huge amount. Yeah. So they feel comfortable in providing it. Yeah. It's actually right next door. They've actually got an airport. Is it really? Well, it's an airfield. Um, run Ooh. by one by run by the Red Deer Air Club. Yeah. Uh, and they can come in and land there. I think I saw but, right by. I wish I remember the campgrounds. I should have studied more. I worked late tonight. I didn't get it oh. to, to dig into what I wanted to dig into. But uh, yeah, I think I remember seeing that up there. There's goats everywhere. So sheep, sheep up there. Sorry, yeah. everywhere. We had uh, so that actual falls that I was showing everybody there. Um, you can walk down the um, uh, the road there. I was going to say the highway. It's not a highway. It's a dirt road. Yeah. You can walk down the road and kind of get to the back side of that, the upper side of yeah. that by the bridge there. And uh, so we walked down there, no problem, get down, play on the river for a little while. And, uh, you know, we like looking at rocks and trying to find fossils or whatever we can. And, and then we're coming back up the hill and there was probably a herd of, I want to say, 15, 20, mm-hmm. 20 bighorn sheep uh, sitting in the road. And I was like, I don't know if we should walk by these things. Uh, they are wild. <laughs> they are. And so we were super, super cautious. And we, we gave them as much room as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and there was no issues at all. But uh, definitely, <clears throat> if they if they wanted to do some damage, they'll do some damage. <laughs> That's not fluff on their head. That, no. is, that is you know solid bone. Yeah, and to watch them fight is pretty amazing we didn't get to see it live i think we heard some of it when we were uh sleeping you can hear the clashing and uh we're not sleeping but in our campsite at night could you hear the clashing and it was it was loud. It was like gunshots going on right yeah they uh yeah that's just off the forestry trunk road yep which uh is a gravel road yeah uh, meant generally for for industry honestly for me personally i love that drive i do too it uh going from nordig um, I've gone north of Nordeg on there, but it actually goes all the way down. Uh, you can actually get all the way, I think, to Highway 1 even. I came out right near Cochrane. Yeah, that's um, where it comes so out. Is it at the, the 840 or the 870? What's the, the, the trunk road? Uh, I keep trying to explain it to everybody, and I know if I, I could find it on a map. Well, it's called Highway 40 for a portion of it. And right. And another one is a three-highway designation, but I don't remember offhand. Because mm-hmm. we just all call it the Forestry Trunk Road. Yeah. But it's one of the best drives. It is not a fast drive. Nope. Uh, especially there's one mountain. Uh, it's called Corkscrew Mountain. Yeah. And you're just doing switchbacks all the way up this thing. But once I don't you, think I was on that part. Every corner you come around, you're viewing out over this valley with the mountains yeah. behind it. It, it. The whole area is just magnificent. Lots of camping. Yeah. Pepper's Lake and other areas down in there. There's actually even a fish pond. 
okay. that nobody really knows about yeah. back there. But uh, people are a lot of people, especially from the cities, are a little nervous about driving on gravel. And this is not a fast 80 no, kilometer no. hour drive either. You're averaging maybe 50 kilometers for most of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a beautiful trip. We made lots of stops. I think we saw some wild horses down there. Uh, yep. A bit of deer, obviously lots of... And there's uh, grazing sheep. down there as well. So, yeah, there's cows all over. There's feral horses all over. You yeah. run into sheep. Lots of, uh, like, just off the uh, trunk road camping, too. Yep. So you don't have to be in a provincial site. You can just pull your trailer off to the side. Um, yeah. There's and, lots of little areas. And they do have some campgrounds in the, in the area as well. The advantage of that is they have some outhouses. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can fill your trailer up. It takes yeah. you three, four days and a couple guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was, uh, I think we were talking earlier about the boardwalk, and I think the boardwalk is right after. Just after the Siffler Falls Bridge. Yeah. yeah. This bridge freaked my dog out. Uh, I can't get it in the yeah. center. Our dog, we had to carry it across. He gets low, like army crawl low, and like belly right on there, and then he'll go across it. He doesn't like to be carried. He doesn't like to be off of it, but he doesn't like that he can see through to the to the river, I it, think. It's a gorgeous bridge, I think. And I hope nobody uh, has to correct me on this, but I think it's the largest... Um, pedestrian sling bridge. I think I read that somewhere too. Yeah. Um, and it is, uh, it's a, not a huge long walk just going across the bridge, but the, the scenery from it, yeah. not just of the river, cause the river is actually a little bit into that glacial blue as well. Yeah. Cause it hits the Abraham, uh, becomes Abraham Lake, not very far yeah. after that. But, uh, when you turn and look and you can see right up the river valley into the mountains at the same time. It's yeah. Very cool. It's gorgeous. We got there maybe around one or two. And like I said, we walked all the way up to the falls. So I don't know, seven, eight, maybe nine kilometers in. And then as we're coming back, it was starting to get dark. Um, so we were seeing some of the sunset and yeah. it, it was stunning, the, stunning area. The thing I like about the Silver Falls hike, it's th- only about three and a half kilometers to the first falls. Yep. And there's only, what, 100 and 150 yards of it that's actually tough. Yeah. It wasn't um, even that tough. So so most people should be able to do that hike. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel bad. I'm, you know, I'm a fat, overweight guy. <laughs> uh, I'm not in shape. I did that hike, and I thought, oh, well, that was a good exercise. And then two minutes later, this lady that had been pushing a stroller all the way walking up, and I felt really bad. But yeah. uh, it, it's a hike that most people should be able to do. It is not so exhausting or no, long. No, it's not uh, bad at all. But yeah, you could still spend a chunk of the day yeah. if you wanted to. I think we were probably four hours, four and a half hours by the time we, we made it all the way in. We hung out there for a bit, took a few pictures, and then came yeah. back. And then, and then there's some side trails if you want yeah. as well. Not in the Kootenai Plains Ecological Reserve, okay. but once you're across the river, yeah. um, you can actually go... To the east, um, I've heard it called a few different names. It's called Survey Hill, as far as I know. And you can actually get a whole other view that yeah. gives you a better view of the valley. Cool, it's cool. It's pretty awesome. The, um, we have another, by the way, my son's down here taking pictures, so Hello. we'll smile and get our uh, picture taken. But um, I haven't done that one with him, but I think you'd be blown away by the, the waterfalls up there. When me and my wife did it, there was nobody. We were up there in the middle of the week, so yep. we saw 
two people, two couples, I think, uh, as we were walking, but we heard something in the woods the whole time that we were there. Oh, really? And so I wasn't sure what was following us, if it was just small critters or whatever, but I was getting a little spooked by the time we got about two and a half hours in. And I was like, eh, I don't know how much further we should go because it was going to get dark. Life. Yeah. It was definitely wildlife. Cool, cool. Um, I won't block your picture, but I will take the next one up. This is going to be um, the North Saskatchewan River. Yeah, you know what? Somebody actually corrected me. They think that is the Clearwater River just before the confluence with the North Saskatchewan River. Okay. So it's very close to Rocky Mountain House. Yeah. Um, fairly slow moving uh, in comparison. Actually, North Saskatchewan River is fairly uh, fairly fast river yeah. in our area. It slows down as you get towards Drayton Valley. Yeah. Um, but it, it's cold, and but it's also really, usually it's really clear. And the Clearwater River is nice and clear as well. Yeah. The uh, It's nice if you're going to do a little kayaking or canoeing Absolutely. with your kids or not. Uh, it's no challenge. It's like being on the boat in Calgary. Maybe well, a little bit faster the, than that. Uh, yeah, but on North Saskatchewan, uh, there I mean, there are some, uh, we have uh, the, what's called the Briarleys Classic. It happens in June. Yeah. And that is a kayaking on rapids event because we do have some rapids actually right outside the National Historic Site. Okay. And uh, when the river's flowing, they are amazing, very impressive. Cool, cool. I got to go on a raft on those uh, last spring. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a fun day. It was only plus 12, unfortunately. It was <laughs> first week of June. You never know what the weather is yeah, quite yeah. the first week of June. Um, but, uh, the company that took us, Gila Ventures, they had the neoprene suits for all of us. They yeah. even had one that fit me Nice. and, uh, we were able to go. It was, it was fun. Yeah. It, it's a blast. I've kayaked them before. Um, and they were a bit lower, so it wasn't nearly as fast or as big. Yeah. This was June. Things were a little bit faster and. Being in those big boats is super comfortable. I, I found yeah. it comfortable. It was, it was a big raft. Yeah. They're, uh, they're fun. I recommend everybody go do a few rapids in, um. In uh, those big boats, yeah, for and, sure. and honestly, the companies they can ask, yeah. do people want to go around them or do people want to go on? Them? <laughs> and for at the National Historic Site, just where the Briarleys Rapids are, they'll actually pull over to the side. And what you can do is you can walk about a hundred yards along the river, and then you can jump into the rapids okay. with your life jacket on. And you just bob going through them, and they'll pull you back out. Nice, nice. It, uh, my kids, we did that one summer, and the kids just did it over and over and over again. Yeah. Your, your kids are quite a bit older. Well, not a lot older, 12 to 20, uh, 12, 12 to 20. Yeah, so still lots of fun. To, yeah, it was my know. oldest two. It was probably four or five years ago. Cool, the cool. oldest two were doing it. Yeah, they were part of uh, the scouts. Uh, no, we did that as a church group thing. So all the youth for the Red Deer regions, we had 150 youth out there, <laughs> all uh, tubing and rafting. It was quite a coordinated effort to yeah. what, get everybody through. What church do you go to in uh, Rocky? Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. we um, uh, When we camped up there, my daughter, she's like the church police for us. If okay. we're out Sunday, she's like, we should be going to find a church. So <laughs> wherever we camp, uh, usually I try to pick one or two, depending on how long we're up mm-hmm. there, and we'll go hit a couple on Sunday and just see the local people and uh, you know we were in uh, where was it in Sundry and we walked into this little church on Main Street and they exploded I don't think they'd seen a new person in 50 years <laughs> it was uh, it was outstanding the, the welcome that we got there was wow, was amazing good. yeah so. well there's lots of Bible camps you could drop in out there two out there as well yeah yeah my uh, my kids uh, haven't asked to go we, we like to go camping together so i think even at uh, wilderness village they had a little chapel out there where they would set up a sunday service there, and, and 
there's actually what's called a what a pioneer camp is right almost right next door. Uh, they're oh, right on Crimson Lake. That one. Okay. And man, I wish I was a kid again. I know. <laughs> I was working on the farm, but uh, some of the things these kids get to do with zip lines and yeah. tubing and horses. Yeah. Paintball and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So this is the. Oh, I guess that's Twin camera. Lakes again. Yeah. There. Twin Lake. Oh, this is Twin Lakes. This isn't the boardwalk from um, no, Settler Falls. No, I there, thought it there's was a when board, I first looked there's at a it. boardwalk out at Twin Lakes. I don't remember. And that. so you walk out into this. It's sort of a jut. It almost looks like an island. Yeah. But uh, you walk out to it, and there's a lot of people that can fish off of a dock out there. Maybe um, I was on that. It's just a. It's a great place just to sit. Yeah. And this is, uh, I think this is the same one we saw oh, earlier. The clear water. Yeah, yeah. We have about two of those. Yeah, it's a brilliant area. I, um, uh, so what, what, what do people need to know? What do, how do we get more uh, tourists out there? Um, well, we have a website, davidthompsoncountry.ca. Yeah. Uh, it lists trails and attractions. It also lists a lot of the businesses whether it's a campground or a tour guiding operation. Yeah. Um, I really think one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't know is how many horse riding yeah. companies we've got in the area. And you can go out, like like I said, you can go for a half-day trip or you can book on for a week or two <sighs> and really go into the back country. Because yeah. there's some areas, uh, Mackenzie's Trails West, JKL Trail Rides, uh, and Ram Rides. Uh, those are all three companies that go out there. They've shown me pictures people don't get to see because they don't walk that. Yeah. You have to go on horseback you're, to get that far Whereas on a horse, you're getting in there, you're able to carry the gear. Uh Depending on the company, you might even get a chuck wagon that takes stuff in for you. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's so cool and different and authentic to, um, I don't want to say we're a frontier town, but we've got a pioneering spirit in the area. Yeah. And uh, because of the undeveloped area, there's still that spirit there for a lot of people. Very cool. We still have people that live out there uh, closer to Nordic that you know they don't have electricity and natural gas. So they're heating their homes with wood all the winter long because really? there's well there's no other choice yeah and they still well they probably grew up in that area and yeah most people you have to grow into it it's not too many people that can just pick up and abandon the city yeah. and move to it the the little town of nordag was was originally a mining town is that correct it was um there were a few coal mines uh, small coal mines in the area um and then martin nordag came in the early 1900s yeah and he was actually He's actually a very smart man. He came with some investors from Belgium and Germany. Wow. And uh, when they were, he was designing Nordeg to how it would be built. He didn't want a little mining town. He actually uh, had a lot of plans from Europe on the way it would be. So Nordeg was actually built sort of like a wagon wheel. So you've got the mine in one area, you had the railway that came through, but from the railway, things sort of went in half circle. Okay. And with yeah. the roads coming out like wagon wheel spokes. Yeah. Um, so he wanted he wanted a community that was a little different. He didn't want it to just be a typical mining town. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very cool. He actually got expelled from Canada uh, when World War I came because he was German. Yeah. And then he came back after World War I ended. Yeah. Um, and then he ended up selling his shares a little bit later, but as time went on, uh, the demand for coal, especially because of railways, uh, kept growing. So the town actually reached close to 3000 people yeah. at its high point. And it had electricity before most of the rest of Alberta did because they were using their own coal Wow, to generate electricity. Yeah. 
Uh, in fact, my understanding is they even had electricity that uh, they ran some electricity all the way to Calgary um, because they were able to generate it there. They had one of the most advanced hospitals in Alberta at the time because Crazy. they were a booming little place. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the Depression hit. Yeah. 1930s, so there wasn't that much for construction and new trains or anything. So that hit the coal mine a little bit. And then during World War II, it was really good because they needed a lot of coal yeah. during the war. But then after that, right after World War II, things started to change because um, railways started to turn to diesel. Yeah. And so by 1955, the coal mine closed and the company went bankrupt and uh, some people call it a ghost town, but uh, it, it's not really because people have lived there. Yeah, the whole there, time. well, there's still a little store there. There's the museum there. Yeah, there's we've got a school, two gas stations. Uh, they tried a school for a little while, um, but uh, I, I think it could come back. We just need a few more kids in the area. Yeah, um, but we actually have on the north side of the highway, so it's not at the original town site. Yeah, um, there's over a hundred cabins back there well we call them cabins by name but they're <laughs> fancier than most houses i would get to live in yeah uh, but gorgeous gorgeous area cool so in the summer uh nordic's population is probably uh north of six or seven hundred people the the people in the cabins do they live there all year long no most of them those are summer summer cabins uh, summer places and you know winter for christmas a lot of them will get out there or something yeah, yeah. like that um uh, we are working on trying to get high-speed internet out there because uh, we've had a few people say, you know what, if high-speed internet was here, I'd be here a lot longer Yeah, um, because they love the area. But it's hard to run your business when uh, the internet is spotty. Yeah. Um, we think any artist could live, you know, that'd be like a, a Bright Creek kind of area, right, where they could come and do their art or write their books or do their paintings yep. or well, whatever. There's a certain solitude to it. Yeah. I think and that gives a lot of people creativity. I mean, there's nothing more inspiring than the uh, the landscape out there for yeah. sure. Uh, it's it's stunning, like absolutely stunning. Yeah, feel spoiled. Yeah, you know, that that Highway 11 drive from Rocky all the way out is just. Well, you amazing. can get onto that trunk road, like you said, um, just uh, what would be north of Nordag, and then you can take that all the way down to basically Cochrane, or maybe all the way down yeah, to the number well, one. Very close to Cochrane. Yeah. Now, again, it is gravel and not, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is, if you have half the time, yeah, it is a marvelous drive. Yeah, yeah. Take a day, go drive. A, Absolutely. You could loop that in a day pretty easy, I think. It's about three hours, three and a half hours to Nordeg. Um, if you take number two north and then the 11 uh, from, west from Calgary, yeah, it's probably three hours. Yeah. Um, I would also recommend, if you have a little bit of time, Highway 22, the Cowboy Trail. Ah, it's beautiful. Um, you know, all the way from Pincher Creek up through Rocky Mountain House, uh, you've got the mountains. Yeah. Actually, that's the way I normally go with it. I take the 22 it's a north. great drive. Yeah, it is. I was just up in um, the little town of Bergen. And it, again, yep. great farmers market there. I haven't been. I actually, I just saw Bergen for the first time. I got called out to to do a job out there, and got to meet a guy. He's an economic uh, developer for uh, Lake Louise, and okay. then a couple of uh, ski ski resorts in. I think Switzerland and France. Wow. And uh, so he, he's a consulting company that works with all these places, and he's working on a little town called uh, Pictou, Nova Scotia as well, turning it into a okay. little tourist town. But very, very interesting guy out there. Uh, beautiful property, uh, right 
backing on to the lake. And then if you go across the road from him, which is the, what is it, the 320, there's all kinds of hunting and everything out there too. So just stunning, stunning area. I don't think people understand how beautiful Alberta really is. No, and people from Calgary tend to go west and south. Yeah. It's a tendency. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, in Edmonton, it's the same thing. They tend to go west or south. Really? The, the advantage we have is Nordic is three hours and Jasper is three hours yeah. from Edmonton. So they can choose which way they want which to go. Which one? Yeah. Very cool. Well, do you have anything? I don't want to keep you here too long because I know you got to drive back to Rocky Mountain House. So uh, we've been on for about an hour. Uh, is there anything else you want to share about the area? What nope. you do? Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate, honestly, yeah. in, in what I do. I get to work with a lot of great people who, in order for economic development to work in a community, the community actually has to work together. Right. And businesses have to support each other. And that's a lot of what I've been doing with tourism, is helping businesses figure out how they can refer people to each other. Yeah. I'll, I'll share an example. I share this often. But uh, uh, I was, when I was working, I, was, I worked for credit unions for 12 years. Right. And uh, I was at a conference in Halifax, and I was fortunate enough. I w- took my wife with me. We couldn't afford it at the time, but we figured we'll never be able to get to go again. Um, so we're in Halifax. We had a few days, uh, just the two of us, and I misbooked a flight. <laughs> so we got to the airport and ended up we were flying out the next day. So I ended up with a day. <laughs> yeah, it was great. We, we reclaimed our rental car yeah. before it was clean, so... Yeah, it was just one more day's rent, but we didn't have anywhere to go. So we said, well, let's go to this part of Nova Scotia that we hadn't been in. And we got there and there was a little, uh, it was a stained glass fusion, fusion glass place. And we went in, bought a few things. And then we were talking in front of the store clerk. Turned out, I think she was the store owner about where should we go? Because we didn't know. We hadn't planned anything. Well, the lady just asked, well, where have you been? We said, nowhere. Well, she pulled out a regional map and then said, well, you want to see this and this and this, and you'll want to go to this store. And if you're still here at lunch, you want to go to here because it's authentic fish and chips. Yeah. And then you want to go see this and this and this. And if you're still here for supper, this is authentic lobster. <laughs> well, we did. And every store we went into, did the same thing. Oh, where have you been? Are you going to see this next? And this little town bounced us around all day. Yeah. Um, to the sites and to the stores and to the restaurants. And it, and it was an authentic experience. They weren't trying to sell us anything. Yeah. It was just, it was a great experience. And we spent an extra $400 on the day that we hadn't planned on. Yeah. That to me is a fantastic tourism industry yeah. that knows how to work together. These were businesses that knew each other. Yeah. They referred them and they knew the area. And so they could, they even told us, Oh, you gotta go here because the tide will be coming up the river at this time. They, they knew the time the tide was coming in. Yeah. So they could refer and tell us to go have that experience. That to me is what the tourism industry should be doing in every little place. Do you know what I love about that? That no one had this welfare mentality, this I will not get my piece of the pie. They're all referring other Mm -hmm. restaurants and stores and like you got to go see Billy because he's got the best fish and you got to go see Susie because she has the best arts and crafts. And that that to me is the epitome of what community should be, right? Is that we're lifting everybody up. And in Alberta... Sometimes we're so darn independent yeah. and entrepreneurial, which that is good, 
But that by itself doesn't build a community for long term. Right. You need working together. I have a theory about uh, mostly uh, Airdrie, the little town I'm in, uh, but I think it holds true for a lot of Alberta is that the people that are here aren't from here. You mm-hmm. know, Airdrie, when I moved Much here, uh, was, uh, I think, 9,000 people, and now we got 80,000 people, and that was in 2004 we moved out here. So that was 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and it grew significantly. Calgary's the same way. Uh, you know, Red Deer, uh, I'm sure even Caroline and Rocky Mountain Health had growth in, in the boom times there. And so there's yep. not a lot of just locals to get to know each other. So it's a bit more... Challenging, I guess, because you just don't know everybody like as if you grew up in that town. It, it can be, but outside people also bring new ideas. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, the reality for the province of Alberta, and I'm generalizing here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the industry that has fed us very well yeah. and helped us grow and pay for so many of the things that we have, that industry is changing. Yeah. And the demand for that industry is changing. Right. Um, we need to figure out what the next step is. I'm not, I don't know what the next I step don't is. Either. But I do know that the industry that has blessed us so much for so long isn't going to be able to have the same power anymore. Todd Hirsch, who's the ATB economist. Yeah. Um, uh, I heard a speech he made and he said, you know, oil and gas is still going to be here. He calls it, it's the backbone. It's still going to provide a lot of strength. Yeah. But it's probably not going to be the same driver of growth right. in the future. And we'll need to look for something else. Yeah. And for most people that are looking for an industry like oil and gas to come in and rescue the province because it's so big and massive, that's just not going to happen. It's like winning the lottery, right? It's, it's We did. We had it. <laughs> I agree. And uh, I couldn't agree more that we can't, you know, the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's sort of what Alberta's done with uh, the oil and gas industry. And we definitely have other industries here, but they're not nearly as strong because I don't think they've had the support that oil and gas well, has had. And it's hard to hard to compete. Um, I think Doug Griffiths, he, uh, he wrote 13 Ways to Kill Your Community. Yeah. Um, he described it as a bonfire. And just that, that bonfire of oil and gas industry was so strong and powerful. That just sucked some of the air out of the other ones that they didn't have the opportunity to grow themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, really, because if you're trying to hire an IT person or an engineer or anybody else, and the oil and gas companies are offering the best salaries, they tend to flock there. And so the companies that could be startups, whether it's in medical technology or biosciences or something else, they just didn't have the chance. I, um, I believe... Uh Amazon had an issue with that opening up here in Alberta. And I know they have their, their warehouse out here, but they wanted to o- open up, I can't remember what it was, a head office or something, but there wasn't enough IT guys in the area. So they moved on. So they moved on, right? Because all the oil and gas or uh, probably all the oil and gas had eaten up uh, the IT guys or they had left because there's not enough jobs uh, left for them here. Uh, so there just, there wasn't that. And then you think about from a labor standpoint, if you're going to pay someone 200 grand a year to go sit on a rig, None of them are going to go help a farmer out or frame a house. There are very few, right? Like it, it steals from every you go, industry. You go where the best opportunity is, and that's yeah. not the fault of anyone. No, I but, agree. But the result is that we're probably underdeveloped in some other, in a lot of the other industries that we have potential for. Yeah, we've got a lot of you know the entrepreneurial spirit. Spirit in Alberta is very strong of getting out there and starting something, but 
yeah, that that one industry that has done so well for us, yeah, also might have slowed down a lot of others at the same time. Well, I'll tell you that the, the other side of it is, you know, maybe the farmers didn't get a lot of help in, in instruction. We were shorthanded a lot. I grew up doing construction, but I got paid darn well because I was one of the guys that stayed behind and mm-hmm. didn't do the oil patch. And, and so, you know, due to what they were doing, my family prospered uh, because of that. And I, oh, you know, the whole province did. Yeah, it, it's amazing. The, the only thing is, uh, what next? Yeah. Um, and, and figuring out our balance of um, services. You know, in, in many provinces, they don't have a resource industry that's able to contribute tax-wise or royalty-wise to cover the cost of the services the people use. Yeah. And we've had 40, 50 years of oil industry and royalties helping cover services that we use. Yeah. And now it's not the same. So we need to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a tough one to do. How so do you balance out the services that people still want and the ability for the province to pay for them at the same time? So is it harder for uh, where you are for the economic development because you're not getting as much government support or royalty support? Um, well, the, honestly, the county is very fortunate. Um, 90% of all the taxes raised in our county actually come from industry of some type. Okay. Um, about 8% from residents, uh, less than 1% from agriculture land. Wow. Um, so uh, I think close to 40% is just pipeline and equipment. Still? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's still really good. Um, so, yeah, it, it's good for us. Uh, the county actually has partnered with the town of Rocky Mountain House. They pay for half of all the recreation services, both capital and expenses. Yeah. Uh, in the village of Caroline, the county pays for almost all the recreation expenses because the county uh, has had councils that very rightly so recognized that even though the town and the village are their own separate entities, the residents of Clearwater County were using those services. Yeah. And in order to make them attractive places to live for the whole region, they wanted to do that kind of partnering. Nice, nice. And yeah, it is, because not every municipality and neighboring municipality have those relationships. Right. And uh, for our area, we definitely benefit from that. That's good to hear, because like, like you were saying about being back in Halifax and all those people getting together, and, and you know, if, if the town of Caroline wanted growth, they could steal it from someone else, do more, not uh, not um, participate in the programs um, and try to keep it all for themselves. But it seems like this this whole uh, David Thompson area, the, the Clearwater County, is very much in, in supporting each other. You know what? We have to work together um, or else we're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, the days when, uh, whether it was business or town or city, that just looked out for themselves and that was it. Yeah. That's it, just not possible. An economy is not one place. Right. You know, businesses and people don't care about those borders that <laughs> really don't exist. Right. Um, you know, a, a town, a business might set up in Clearwater County, but most of their employees are probably from the town. Yeah. Or, or vice versa. Right. And uh, you have to recognize that it's it's a regional thing, not just individual so um best case scenario uh what what would it look like to you the next five years what what kind of changes what kind of growth what what are you looking for for your area 
Um, in our area, uh, what well, we have a cannabis facility that's under construction in the south end of the county. A what? Cannabis facility. Yeah. Uh, so they are... That's not Aurora, is it? No, no, it's it's Element GP. Okay. They're separate. Um, they are growing, and then they're going to process it for CBD oil. So it's not for retail. Yeah. They're actually producing it for, uh, my understanding is medical and beverage industry. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I'm just hoping for some opportunities for already existing businesses to perhaps expand. Um, part of it is helping people that just haven't worked with, say, let's say online sales. Yeah. Um, the opportunity to maybe look at some of their manufacturing and spread that further beyond just Alberta. Uh, the advantage of online is that you can have a world market. Yeah. yeah. And so if you are a niche player in Alberta, your niche though, that you're serving could be a lot larger than the province. Hmm. Um, and what's the closest airport to you guys? Is it probably Calgary, eh? Uh, for international airport? Yeah. Uh, well, Calgary and Edmonton are about the same distance. Yeah. Uh, Red Deer is just over an hour away. I didn't know Red Deer was international. Uh, they're not international, I guess, but okay. they've got a large airport. Yeah. Uh, Rocky's actually got a pretty decent airport because we have to have water bombers land. So okay. we have a good air show every two years. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, actually we have the F-16 coming land and. That's wow. pretty cool. I grew up uh, a lot in Abbotsford, and we had the Abbotsford Air Show. That's a huge one. It's yeah. stunning when you're a kid. Rocky can only do, we do ours every second year, and it's in the middle of the week. We can't command a weekend show. <laughs> but the advantage of a small airport with that kind of air show yeah. is the snowbirds and all the pilots, they actually come and mingle with the crowd and sign autographs. Brilliant. Because it's a small town airport. When's the next one? Uh, 2020. 2020. We, we had one uh, this Oh, the weather was perfect. It was plus 23, not a cloud in the sky. Yeah. Um, it, for 2020 fantastic. in Rocky Mountain. Absolutely. Was, yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic air show. But uh, our growth our growth will um, rely on us taking advantage of the skills we have. We have a lot of people, especially small manufacturing, that have those skills. Yeah. But it's helping them understand or find the opportunity yeah. to take advantage of that. Uh, my council is trying to work on getting broadband, high-speed internet, nice. more available in the county um, because it is spotty. Uh, there are companies out there, but you know we're a big we're a big county, not a lot of population. We've got a lot of geography. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that make it difficult. Um, but we recognize that future growth of almost any industry is going to probably have some technology basis. Have to, have to, yeah. The The tourism seems to be doing pretty good out there. Just a little bit of growth in industry and yeah. getting the people, uh, the locals, businesses more, I want to say international. They don't have to be international. They and just have to be outside just there. Just expanding their opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we've got some people that have created some amazing things in the past. So what does that look like with, do you, are you guys planning programs to teach them how to be, you know, better online and how to, you know, develop <laughs> websites and, and that kind of thing? Um, we've supported some of that in the past. We've been fortunate to have a lady in town uh, through a provincial program. Uh, it's called the Rural Alberta Business Center. Okay. Who actually has taught a lot of people marketing, business plans, and also how to do a lot of web stuff as well. Yeah. Um, 
I think a lot of it's going to be around the youth, honestly. Yeah. This is long-term. It's not five years. No, no. Um, but helping our youth understand that you don't have to go to Edmonton and stay in Edmonton. You can go to Edmonton and come back. Yeah. And because we have, hopefully, uh, we'll have the internet available that allows them to do whatever they want from wherever they want. Yeah. Um, I think it was CBC actually recently had an article about in Ontario, more and more companies are pulling out of the big cities and going to smaller rural areas because the quality of life is better. Yeah. The price of land is better. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, And if they get the right mix of employees to come with them, they're more loyal staying in the smaller centers than they would be in the larger centers. Hmm. I'm uh, just finishing up a book called uh, The Ideal Team Player. And uh, what it was is an IT guy from uh, Silicon Valley that gets talked into running his uh, uncle's construction company in small town and talks about hiring and, and you know, creating this team player mentality inside of it. It's a great, great book. Uh, but that's sort of what you're talking about, that, you know, if you brought two or three really good, um, you know, business managers into the area and help grow the businesses, helped uh, bring industry inside there, you know, if you were going to open up a factory in Rocky Mountain House to do something, you would have a pretty steady supply of, of employees and local people that could... Yeah. Uh, um, help you grow. I know, um, I think it was Coverall had done it in Saskatchewan with their, uh, they, they got vetted by everybody around the world to, to move their factory. And they decided to stay in their little town of Saskatchewan and grow. Hmm. And he ended up selling it for, I want to say 60 or $65 million. It wow. was a stupid amount of money. And literally pig farmer developed a tent in his backyard and grew it from there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of strength in small town people and loyalty. And There is. I think the biggest threat, and this is across rural Alberta, not just our area, is that so much of the growth and so many of the companies that we have today that employ a lot of people were founded by baby boomers. Yeah. And they're of an age where they're ready to move on. Yeah. And... Hopefully they have somebody to step in and take over that company. Often it's a family member, which is great because that leaves local roots. Yeah. But if they don't, the likelihood of being bought by a larger company from somewhere else that doesn't have roots there. Yeah. It, I, I see that as a threat. The uh, a lot of hap- that happens with the farms. The yep. uh, the next generation didn't want to farm like their dad, and so they got sold off to mm-hmm. large corporations. They were told by their dad not to go farming for a lot of them. Well, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that um, so these big corporations bought up all the egg farms and all the mushroom farms, and it's it's no that's, longer local families doing it anymore. Yeah, it is a change. Um, you know, farming it's a lifestyle. Yeah, and if somebody doesn't want that lifestyle. Or honestly, the constant constant worry of how do I pay the fertilizer? How do I pay the gas? How do I pay, you know, uh, oh, the tractor broke down. How do I, yeah. you know, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty costly input yeah. industry. Um, so, yeah, I can understand. And no one wants anything hard anymore, right? They all <laughs> want it as easy as they can possibly get it. They don't want challenges. Well, there, there's advantages, but at the same time, throughout much of Alberta, there's a lot of farmers that don't make their living by farming anymore. Yeah. You know, so their construction, oil and gas, whatever it is, they're doing that job. Then they're coming home and they're farming. Right. 
that's the lifestyle. I remember one gentleman told me, this was 12 years ago, I was living in just north of Yorkton. He said that uh, he made a really tough decision at one point to lease out the land. Third generation farm, fourth generation farm, to lease out the land and not farm it himself. Yeah. But he said, you know, I was gone for three weeks on an oil job. I get home and I'm seeding. Yeah. And then I'm fertilizing. And I'm looking at my watch going, my daughter's grad starts in an hour. I got to get there. And then he goes, I'm gone working for three weeks. Yeah. I get home and I'm on the tractor and I might miss my daughter's grad. Yeah. That's for him. That was the big rearrangement of what is, why am I actually doing this? And farming, uh, I grew up on a farm. I loved it. Um, there's a lot of lessons I wish I could teach my kids in town <laughs> that I can't because they're not on a farm. Right. But uh, it, you live on your business. Yeah. You know, it's 24-7. If something goes wrong, you're the one that has to be there. And yeah. It, it, it can be tough. I think that builds character, though. I, I'm never opposed to tough. Sometimes, yeah, you know, it can't be too tough either, right? I, I work... <laughs> basically uh three jobs i have my my regular job we do the podcast we have a clothing company um and they eat up a little amount of my time but it's time plus i i have to keep a a wife happy and and two kids happy and and you can balance it all out if you're really really good and, and willing to work hard um but that's not the same as farming. It's not the same as spending three weeks out of town and coming home and, and you know, moving your cattle or seeding a field or, you know, um, whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's a lot, a lot of work. I mean, in, in the end, for most people, they have their jobs. Hopefully they love at least most like aspects it. of their jobs. Because <laughs> uh, not everybody does. Yeah. I've had that I, some that I don't like. But the end, in the end, the reality is I'm only working because of my family. Yeah. If it was just me, yeah. I would live a lot lower quality of life because I wouldn't <laughs> care that much. I told you I want to live in a dirt floor hut. Yeah. Um, I would totally, the, the bigger house doesn't doesn't impress me, doesn't drive no, me. I, I could live a lot differently. Yeah. But I'm working because of my family. I, I agree and, 100%. Uh, you know, for a farmer who that's their life, they have to love the aspects of it. Yeah. But they want to balance that out with, with uh, the family. That's really tough. Is your family farm sold off, or is it still in the yeah. family? No, we had to, we actually only had a quarter section, which okay. in eastern Alberta you're not allowed to call a farm. Oh, okay, it's too small. But uh, we had mixed farm. We had chickens, pigs, cows, milk cows, everything. So we had lots of chores. So I call it a farm. Yeah. But no, my dad sold off. My sister. Um, I'm the oldest of five. There's uh, four boys, one girl. Yeah. Uh, my sister married a rancher, and she's the only one on the farm. The rest of us are doing other things. Nice, nice. Cool, cool. Well, again, we're we're actually going over time okay. now. You <laughs> wanted to be out of here at 8.30, and I want to uh, um, appreciate your time. Uh, tell people how they can uh, find David Thompson County. Uh, well, David Thompson Country is the website, yeah. davidthompsoncountry.ca. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, YouTube is brilliant, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I thought the videos are awesome. I will share all of it when I post this uh, on Thursday. Great. Everyone thinks it's Thursday, but it's actually Monday. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for having Um, me, Chad. Yeah, I've had a drive for a few. I I appreciate you driving down to do the the podcast. Um, 
So thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you check out all the David Thompson uh, County stuff and the Clearwater County stuff and come camp. Come support the local businesses, hike, hike, fish, uh, hunt, horseback, horseback horseback riding. Uh, We'll put all the links up there and then anyone local can uh, steal this and uh, post it themselves and and get everyone excited. So again, thank you everybody and thank you, Jerry. And we'll talk to you soon. I got to shut down.